Hey everybody, Zach here. I wanna tell you a quick story about something that happened last week. So I was browsing the internet looking for some adjustable dumbbells to sort of like up my workout from home game. And uh, I was poring over the customer reviews of several different products and found myself at the end of the day leaning towards Bowflex. I even went so far as to place the pair of dumbbells in my shopping cart, but I just couldn't actually pull the trigger on my purchase. Um, I've become increasingly skeptical of product reviews over the last couple of years. Uh, So many of them, in case you don't know, are actually fake or paid reviews. So I ended up sending a text message to some buddies to get their thoughts. After about a day's worth of back and forth texts from folks who had actually used the product, I was finally convinced that Bowflex was the brand that I wanted to go with and I clicked that buy now button. And really this is this silly story is a testament to the power of peer-to-peer marketing, which happens to be the bread and butter of this week's sponsor. Meet Unibuddy, a student engagement platform that helps higher education recruitment, marketing, and admissions professionals attract, engage, and convert prospective students. Unibuddy helps students make one of the most important purchasing decisions of their life, where to go to college. One of the ways that they do this is by giving prospects real-time access to real people at your university. Here's how it works. So you've got a prospective student named Sam, okay, and he is Googling one day and he stumbles upon your school's business major website page. And he starts poking around and, and reading a little bit more about the program offering. After a few seconds, a warm but inviting pop-up form invites Sam to chat with a student ambassador named Dan, who, you guessed it, is currently studying business at your university. After some quick niceties, Sam admits that he's been looking at your school for some time now, but has yet to submit a formal inquiry or start an application. He's been to a couple of virtual recruitment events, but it's been hard to get a feel for what life as a student, especially during these crazy times, is actually like. Dan talks about his love of the entrepreneurship course he's taking, how challenging but rewarding Accounting 101 is, and how impressed he's been with your school's response to the challenges that COVID has thrown everyone's way. After about 15 minutes of chatting with Dan, Sam goes ahead and he books a chat with one of your admissions counselors for next week, and he even goes so far as to create an application account. This experience is so much more powerful than a static chat window or a scripted chatbot. Unibuddy empowers people to make better decisions through shared human experience. Oh, and by the way, this peer-to-peer engagement platform is just one of Unibuddy's unique product offerings. Wait until you see their virtual events platform. This experience is so much more powerful than a static chat window or a scripted chatbot. Unibuddy empowers people to make better decisions through shared human experience. Oh, and by the way, this peer-to-peer engagement platform, it's just one of Unibuddy's product offerings. Wait until you see their virtual events platform. It's absolutely game-changing. I've used it during one of the events that I've presented at, and it is by far my favorite virtual events platform. So don't get stuck in the prospective student's college shopping cart. Make the experience of accessing personalized, peer-to-peer feedback as frictionless as possible. To learn more about Unibuddy and access a plethora of their free resources to help you navigate student recruitment, especially during these uncertain times, head on over to enrollify.org forward slash Unibuddy. That's enrollify.org forward slash Buddy, and we'll ping you directly to Unibuddy's Learning Hub. All right, everyone, enjoy this week's episode.
Good morning, everybody, and welcome to the Enrollify podcast. Ah, it's been a week. It has been a week. Uh, I'm so thankful that it is almost Friday. Um, I will be sleeping most of the weekend, I think, <laughs> and catching up from what has been a pretty uh, a pretty busy a um, pretty overwhelming uh, last couple of weeks, but also a really exciting last couple of weeks. Um, you know, I made this prediction to my team at the end of 2020, and I said, you know what, guys, I think that 2020 Q1, excuse me, of 2021 is going to feel like Q3 normally feels for us uh, as as an agency, um, and that has certainly proven to be to be true. So for for you all, right, most of you have your fiscal years that renew around July one. Um, some of you sort of end May thirty first, and others of you kind of you know creep all the way up until uh, into September. But most of you have sort of like a you know July one through June thirty um, fiscal year, and because of that, normally what happens is. Come Q3, you guys have gotten budgets approved. The summer is done, and you're ready to get to work. Um, and you know that's where that's where we come in. Um, but because of everything that has happened over the last, it's almost been a year. Can you believe that? It's almost been a year. Wow. Um, uh, budgets were frozen for a long period of time. Some folks' uh, budgets were finally unfrozen come October. Some folks have just recently, uh, as recent as sort of like January one been given um, access to, to funds for, for enrollment marketing purposes. And so as such, there's just this like real hunger and need to like spend money now in order to have even a remote chance at, you know, making an impact on fall 2021 numbers. So all that is to say is that it's been um, an especially fun season of creativity and innovation and an optimization, right? So, so many of you have come to us saying, hey, I have, you know, this amount of money that I need to spend in the next three months. How do I do that in the most sustainable way possible? Or others of you have come and said, look, like, I have heard your stuff. Uh, I've read what what Enrollify is about. I understand, you know, your your parent agency, DD agency, and um, I I want to work with you all. Um, here, what do I do? How do I how do I increase enrollment by ten percent come the fall? And it's just a, it's just a really interesting season where I think most of us are needing to be uh, scrappy with how we think about putting together strategic plans. Um, but also the execution of those, those strategic plans need to happen diligently and intentionally and purposefully and, and quite honestly, quickly, um, which puts, you know, a lot of pressure on, on, on everyone. Um, what am I saying here? This is a long way of basically saying that it is great to be with all of you today. And, um, I'm excited to sort of take a, a, a breather from, from the rat race um, and uh, talk a little bit about some trends, really one trend in particular that I've been especially interested in leaning into um, over the past couple of weeks because of some things in my own life experience, um, but also just in in trends that I've been staying on top of and reading uh, in our industry and um, across sort of the, the spectrum of industries. And we're going to dive into that 
um, very, very, very soon here. But right before we do so, I just wanted to take a quick moment to to thank you all for all the uh, support and and love of Enrollify. You guys have been our biggest uh, brand advocates. Um, we have we've yet to spend cash to to promote Enrollify content, um, but you guys have just been so gracious in sharing us with your networks and people in the field. And so my commitment to you in 2021, we've got a lot of exciting things in store. We're going to be rolling out some new podcast shows. We're going to be um, expanding our e-course offerings um, and plenty of other things that I'm not quite allowed to share with you guys. Um, But just wanted to take a quick moment to thank you for your uh, continued support and your your loyalty. Um, if there's anything that we can ever do as a brand to bring more value to you, please don't hesitate to reach out. Um, we spend a lot of time uh, every week thinking about how to better serve you guys. And so um, if there's something top of mind, uh, please please feel free to reach out. So in case you haven't uh, noticed yet, I am alone today. Um, We had some scheduling changes uh, last minute with one of our our guests. Um, And so I get to chat with you about something that I've been wanting to talk about in a little bit more detail, as I've said already for, for weeks now. And, you know, I am tentatively titling this, I don't know what it'll actually uh end up being titled uh once it once it publishes we'll have to talk to the rest of my team here but um i'm calling this something at at least tentatively for now i'm calling this episode redefining student ambassador the rise of the micro influencer in enrollment marketing and uh I, I talked about this in my last Frideas episode, which, by the way, if you, if you don't, um, if you're not subscribed to Frideas, I put out a, a weekly video segment where I just share sort of like fresh, free ideas that are um, all marketing related, but are very practical. I walk you through sort of a, a quick slide deck and say, hey, here are a couple of frameworks that you should consider, or here are a couple of tools I've been using that might be helpful to you. So if you aren't already subscribed, um, I think we're actually ranking number one organically for the term Frideas. So you could just Google Frideas. Uh, that's, you know, fries and Friday. And then uh, Dias. Um, and then you'll find us. So uh, go ahead and subscribe if you haven't done so already. But anyways, I was talking about some trends that uh, I've been paying close attention to over the the better part of the last few months. And uh, there's always risk when you talk about trends because some folks like to take things that are trendy very literally. And uh, a good example of this is like, um, you know, you read a blog post that says emails are opened most often Tuesdays at, you know, 6 a.m. And then everyone starts, everyone reads the same blog post. They start sending emails at 6 a.m. And then pretty soon that's like the worst time to send emails, right? So um, when it comes to trends, while I love ideas and I love thinking about things and I love shiny objects, uh, uh, it's also really important to understand sort of like how things that are happening fit into the greater context, the greater strategic context of what your enrollment goals are. Um, And I would always, I would always encourage you to be cautious when something new comes onto the market. Um, not not because I I don't think new things aren't worth investing in. Actually, quite the contrary. As a as a pioneer and as a visionary and as an early adopter myself, um, I I really do believe the opposite. But 
one of the things that I see schools do a lot of is all of a sudden they, they hear something at a conference and they come back and they want to allocate all of their budget to this new shiny thing. Um, or, you know, they, they read about, oh, wow, you know, Google search has changed and this is sort of like the new methodology that works for search ads. And then, when, then they want to go dump all their money there. And, um, you know, more often than not, those, those tactics just like, you know, putting all your eggs in, in one basket um, just doesn't work. And I also think that there's like a healthy like need that there's, there's a need rather for like a healthy dose of reality that like most of the time when it comes to marketing, anything, right. Not, not just school, but anything you have to take a diversified approach. Like people say this all the time. There is no silver bullet, right? Uh, we all know that. Um, and yet like Every day we are pounded with messaging on social media about this new app, right, or this new strategy or this new hack. Um, so all this is to say is, is that I'm pretty cautious when it when it comes to like strongly recommending something that I think is like trendy, um, especially because a lot of the things that are like trendy in like the B2B or B2C space or like the, you know, direct to, direct to consumer, the D2C space, who can't really talk here, um, aren't like directly applicable to admissions and marketing. Um, however, I have been thinking a lot about micro-influencing and really the power that I feel like micro-influencers have. And so um, I believe when I think about like the year holistically, and I think really over the next couple of years, uh, because COVID is just this like weird, has this all in this like weird like time gap, right? But the things that I think are going to be really important over the next couple of years are SEO, conversational marketing, uh, you know, inbound marketing holistically. Um, this is not going away. Uh, these strategies and tactics are still, we've been talking about them for a little while, but they're still like on the cusp um, of being fully understood and, uh, and adopted by higher ed. Um, and, you know, especially in today's sort of like strange digital first world, there's, um, it's never been more important to ensure that you've shored up your digital content foundations and that your website um, is a true resource, a true lead generation machine. And if it's not, quite honestly, stop listening to this podcast and go tackle that right now. Um, because this, your digital presence has never, and I, and I really do mean never, been more important than it is today. Um, so all that said, SEO, conversational marketing inbound, those are going to be important. They have been important. They will continue to be important. But there's a trend that's been, again, gaining momentum and it's it's sort of been under the radar in higher ed um and i think i know why and i want to tease it out with you all but i'm sort of surprised that more schools aren't paying attention to it and again this this trend is i've already said it but is is the trend of like the rise of the micro influencer so i'm going to define Micro-influencer for you all momentarily. But first, I want to tell you the story behind uh, my very first experience being compelled to buy something because of a micro-influencer. So, um, and really, this is a story about my wife, but, um, you know, her and I together a lot, especially these days. So her uh, her happenings affect me and affect my realities, uh, my reality very, very regularly. So, uh, my wife is a, a social media lurker, which if you are not familiar with that term, it means that she's on social media, but she doesn't want others to know that she's on social media. So like she doesn't have any 
all of her, uh, uh, the, she really only has an Instagram account and it's private. You can't really find her. She doesn't follow or no one is allowed to follow her. Right. Um, anyways, what she ends up doing is using my social media a lot to kind of consume content to understand sort of like, what are our friends and family doing? Um, she just steals my phone and, and logs into to my Facebook or my Instagram or my Twitter to like get her fix. Um, but as far as the world knows, she doesn't have social media. So, um, that said, her sort of big, like the the where she spends time on social, and again, mostly my social, is on Instagram. And there are people that she refers to on Instagram as the Insta Babes. Um, again, that's Insta Babes. Um, and most of these women are um, women who are in their, you know, uh, early to mid 30s. They are. Uh, you know, fit women, they like to eat well, they like to cook, they like to design, like all things that my wife uh, cares a lot about. And um, we call these, we call these people the, the Insta Babes because, you know, they're, uh, they're all typically attractive people that are doing cool things that have a little bit of following. Um, and there's one Insta Babe in particular that my wife um, absolutely, absolutely loves. Um, and, uh, her name, I'll, I'll drop it here, um, for any of my listeners who, who might be familiar with, with this Insta babe, um, is, is shut the kale up. That's her like Instagram handle and shut the kale up is a mom of two. She lives out in California and she posts a lot of really cool, like, uh, story driven content, around the health products that she's using, the um, new recipes she's experimented with, what she got at the farmer's market the other day. Um, she's, she's, very, she's very much a, um, a you know, so somebody who, who is constantly sharing like the things that she is doing and trying and experiencing throughout the day. Um, and again, most of the time, these are not like paid endorsements. Uh, she does partner with brands, of course, but um, most of the time, this is just like, hey, these are things that I like that you might be interested in and that you might like as well. Um, so there was this experience. Sorry, I maybe hopefully you guys uh, are finding this at least uh, somewhat interesting and able to follow along here. But uh, um, we were walking through Whole Foods. This was about six months ago. And there was this like we walked by like the snack aisle and my wife all of a sudden said, oh, my gosh, I have to get this popcorn. I I saw Shut the Kale Up uh, eat this popcorn, and I need to try it. So we go ahead and laugh at our ITs. I was like, oh, my gosh, you're being influenced. Ha ha. We buy the popcorn. We eat it. Um, and it was, you know, it was delicious. Um, and then I started noticing that every time we went to Whole Foods, there was something else that she was interested in trying. And when we would talk about, hey, what are we going to do for our virtual workout for the day? More and more and more she would say, oh, hey, I heard about this thing. And then, you know, most of the time I would just be like, oh, cool, yeah, let's try it. But every once in a while I'd be like, wait, so wait, where did you hear about this again? And it kept coming back to uh, Shut the Kill Up or, or one of the other Insta Babes. So what's interesting about this, right, is that these these people, they don't have hundreds of thousands. Actually, I think Shut the Kale Up might have like a couple hundred thousand followers. But most of these other people that she follows, they have a handful of of, of followers, you know, like thousands of followers or some of them have 10,000 followers. But the, this isn't like, these aren't like celebrities, okay? Like most people don't know who these people are. And yet, I am just amused and quite honestly, like 
dumbfounded by the influence that they hold over my wife's purchasing behavior. And not even just purchasing behavior, but also just how she decides to spend her time. Like, hey, I'm now going to go do this kind of workout because I saw this person who I respect, uh, who I've never met, by the way, right? Uh, uh, I saw her do this workout, so I want to do this workout. So how does this relate to us, right? How does this relate to enrollment marketing and, and admissions? Well, I've been thinking just a lot about how, the, like the rise that we're seeing in ed tech um, around apps like Unibuddy and Zimi, right? So Unibuddy and Zimi, they're really changing the way in which colleges and universities think about student recruitment. Uh, recruitment today is is a much more community-driven um, and, and quite honestly, like more specifically, it's peer-driven. So these apps, um, if you're not familiar with them, you really should be. They're different. Um, they, I don't know that they actually consider themselves to be like competitors. Um, in fact, I'm pretty sure that they don't. But they're peer-to-peer, pl- like Unibody's a peer-to-peer platform that allows for prospective students to connect with current students in like you know, the actual program that they're in. So if you're a prospective business student, um, you might be, um, you'll be connected to like a current business student if you so desire on your website. You can chat with them, you can text with them, et cetera. Zimi is a little bit different where you join different uh, groups and college communities um, and you can sort of like opt in and say, oh yeah, I'm interested in like joining the West Virginia University like group um, the, the community there. And then you can like meet other people that are either have already applied to WVU or are thinking applying to WVU, et cetera. So the, the commonality between them is that they're really communities where prospective students and, uh, in some cases, uh, like in the Unibody's context, current students are meeting and networking and sharing information and talking about challenges and talking about exciting opportunities and, um, really sort of helping encourage folks along the enrollment, uh, the, uh, the enrollment process in a very like organic peer to peer, um, marketing and in influential way. So I'm, you know, I'm thinking about like my wife's behavior, my wife's shopping behavior. Um, I'm thinking about sort of like the rise of Zimi and Unibuddy and popularity, and um, you know, and I'm starting to think about like why aren't we talking a little bit more about the power that micro influencing could have in our admissions offices? Um, so, it, and I want to dive into some very specific ideas of how I think we could like reconcile all of this, right? Uh, but before we do so, just just getting this out of the way, um, a, a micro influencer, as defined by uh, Marketing Brew, which is a subsidiary of of Morning Brew, which is an amazing newsletter. If you are not subscribed to, you should be. And we actually did have the uh, lead editor of Marketing Brew on the Enrollify podcast. Uh, several months ago, uh, so you can go back and find that episode as well. Uh, Phoebe Bain is her name, and she's awesome. Uh, anyways, I, I digress. Uh, a micro influencer is a brand partner with a thousand to roughly ten thousand social media followers. Again, these are not like celebrity accounts. This is not like Kylie Jenner, right? Um, and nine. So, like, interesting just stats here, right? Because in like you've heard of influencer marketing, all of you have heard of inf- influencer marketing. And influencer marketing sort of had like a bad rep because it like came on really strong. It seemed like it was going to be this big thing. Seeing celebrities endorse products, right? Like through social media was going to be huge. Um, and I, I think it worked. It works for some brands, right? But by and large, it sort of is now looked at and seen as something like a luxury that most of us can't afford, right? A luxury that like 
you and your marketing team, you, you probably can't afford to go spend $10,000 to have some celebrity like name drop your institution and encur- encourage people to come to like a virtual event or something like that, right? So influencer marketing sort of had this like bad rep um, simply because the ROI for most folks just didn't seem to be there. But furthermore, there have been lots of studies in the past couple of years around just the impact of of influencer marketing and like whether or not this strategy is sort of like a viable, sustainable solution for brands. Um, and one of the, the a few just like interesting statistics that like Marketing Brew recently highlighted on influencer marketing is that ninety two percent of of consumers actually trust micro influencers more than traditional advertising or a celebrity endorsement. So part of all these surveys is what they've been tr- what folks have been trying to ascertain is like. Is our our is micro influencing just like the next bit like a a wave of of influencer marketing in that it's sort of like a hot cool like sexy sounding thing but then in reality it's it it dramatically falls short. Um, but based off of some of these initial surveys that uh, that have come out, ninety two percent of people actually trust these influencers more than uh, more than folks who are, you know, celebrity status. More than 82% of consumers are actually likely to buy micro-influencer recommended products. And micro-influencers actually drove 22 times more conversions than a typical user um, this year. So in other words, if a user, if, if a viewer of an Instagram story of a micro-influencer, right, watches that video, they are 22 times more likely to go and convert and buy that product um, than somebody who hasn't actually seen that story, right? And it's just like walking through the grocery store and, and browsing. So I, I'm, I'm like wrestling with all this stuff. I'm seeing these reports come out and I'm thinking, okay, like what is the application in higher ed? Um, and then I'm like, well, you know, we have student ambassadors, right? Student ambassadors are something that, that aren't new. Like when you, I remember going to college uh, and going to like the, the uh, like some sort of recruitment event or open house or whatever. And you, you, the student ambassador is like the person that like walks you around the campus and answers your questions and blah, blah, blah. And, the, and that's like totally great and, and needed and important. But what I think needs to happen is I think we need to think differently about student ambassadors. And I think that we need to start thinking about how we could use the talent that exists internal to our institutions and actually leverage that talent for the purposes of um, micro-influencing. And I think that there's several different ways that we could do this. But And, and I'm going to flesh out a few examples momentarily here. But uh, uh, at a higher level, like at the 30,000-foot level, what's really happening is there's like this democratizing in like the branding space that's happening right now. And we're, we're seeing sort of this like continued shift from corporate brand to personal brand. Um, and in fact, like if your job touches anything in the sales or marketing or recruitment space, you're pretty much all but expected to be a thought leader on social media these days, right? So I think one of the, this is, this is tangential, but I think one of the reasons why um, we, you don't see the kind of, like when you go to Facebook, right, it's inundated with ads now and, and pages, right? Like page, um, uh, pages, like uh, company pages or brand pages, like they make up a lot of the real estate in your newsfeed. Um, because one, that's the only way that you're going to see anything that they do because of, you know, the fact that organic reach on Facebook is like next to zero now. Um, but I think one of the reasons why, Instagram and Twitter, you don't see the same sort of like ads in your feed, at least at the same sort of cadence that you see and expect on Facebook. And I actually think that that's because 
Instagram and Twitter as networks are much more conducive to personal brand and, and really the individual than the corporate brand or the or the institutional brand. So like you don't follow and and interact with like company content as frequently on Twitter as you as you would actually go and follow the CEO of that company, right? Or you would go ahead and follow the, you know, the CMO of a product that you really, really love as opposed to following like the brand itself. Whereas on Facebook, you'd probably go ahead and like like the brand page. Like that's pretty common. You you can't like friend request the CEO of um you know, Refinery29 or, you know, Morning Brew or whatever. Like, so I think it's super interesting that these platforms are actually built a little bit more for uh, the proliferation of personal brand than they are of institutional brand. And Instagram, obviously, TikTok is following following suit here um, as much more popular among Generation Z, uh, younger millennials as well, and will, in all likelihood, will continue to sort of like, um, be popular among next generations. So um, I will get back on track here. But uh, the the bigger point to sharing that little insight is that what's happening right now is everyone's trying to like develop their personal brand. Um, and the idea of personal brand is, is still sort of like novel in and of itself. And I think like some great examples of like companies. So uh, part of this in part is because companies are actually like changing their expectations and they're, they're actually like, there is this unspoken or sometimes spoken rule that as if you are a member of a company, especially like a tech company or a media company or an agency, um, you are expected to play a role in the marketing and the promotion of that brand and of the products and services associated with it. Um, and I think a great example of this is like a morning brew. So morning brew on Twitter, they like, I don't know if they actually require, but they strongly encourage all of their employees to have a coffee emoji, um, as a part of their Twitter profile to, you know, uh, associate themselves with like being a morning brew employee. Um, I think Dave Geardhart from Privy is another great example of this. He has such prolific, great storytelling and content and impactful stories on LinkedIn. Um, He's the the CMO of Privy, but also has this private community, and and a lot of people just follow Dave for his thought leadership, and then know and then come to learn about Privy and its services as sort of like an afterthought. Um, and we're also seeing things like social video commerce blow up. So like YouTube, right? It it isn't just a space to find educational content or product reviews. It's growing into its own form of e-commerce, right? People are there's like this one to one selling happening on YouTube now, like. People, uh, you're, you're, you're watching a how-to video and then, you know, the, the person conducting the video is also saying, hey, by the way, like, this is the tool that I use to fix this thing that you just watched. Click here and go buy it in one click on Amazon, right? Like, the, the way that we think about influencers um, has really just been... Uh, not to use jar- marketing jargon again, but like um, democratized. And it's it's become something that is very accessible and expected and actually more impactful when that person doesn't have some sort of like celebrity status. Because it, again, it just, it aligns with being more authentic, which is something, which is, a, you know, a trend that has been talked about um, ad nauseum. Um, okay, what am I saying here? So I want to talk about uh, and I will let you guys go soon because this has been quite uh, the different episode. But I want to get really practical here and actually share 
uh, four specific ideas of how I think schools should think differently about their student ambassador programs and actually reimagine them as as almost micro-influencer programs. So number one, very practical idea is to start a referral company, uh, excuse me, a referral program. So companies like The Hustle, The Skim, software companies like HubSpot and Drift, right? They associate a lot of their growth, a huge portion of their growth pie um, to their referral and affiliate programs. So what I don't see happening enough at schools is like, how do you create for your student ambassadors some sort of referral program? Now, again, I know that this can get sensitive and whatnot. Some student ambassadors are paid, some aren't. But how could you give some sort of like credit or token or campus money or, or whatnot to folks that are actually bringing you uh, new prospective students, like inquiries. I think that this would work actually really, really well at the graduate level. So like if I am uh, at you know pursuing a graduate program and I have several other friends who I think could be interested in the program, if I um, got them to come to an event or to si- to start an application or to chat with a faculty member or program coordinator, like getting a little kickback of whether oh, whether that's like a cash or or a coffee, you know, like a Starbucks gift card or whatever it is, like being able to uh, incentivize me to be a promoter of your brand, of your program, right? Um, I think that there that is a huge opportunity that we're just not capitalizing on in uh, in higher ed on right now. It's super super easy. Everybody does this. People expect it, but like, why aren't why don't we have like referral codes, unique referral codes for your students? Um, and why isn't there some sort of incentive involved if in fact? they get somebody to apply or enroll or whatever. Maybe maybe it's even just to come to an event. So referral program is number one. Number two, I actually really like this idea. This is what I'm calling the beta brain trust, okay? So Pixar made famous the idea of the brain trust, which is basically like bring together a team of creatives uh, where you can spitball ideas. It's really, really, really safe. Um, and the idea of the brain trust is it's supposed to be very candid. It's supposed to be very honest. But the people that you're bringing to that table are like qualified creatives, meaning like you're not just bringing anyone with an opinion to the table. It's like, no, 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 Like the people that you're surrounding yourselves with, that you're sort of exposing your idea to are qualified, exceptional people, right? So one of the things that schools do a lot when they're rebranding, especially when it comes to like website re, uh, redesigns, they go out and they hire like a company to come in and just and do a bunch of like qualitative and quantitative research around um, the kind of site that they should build and how they should structure content on the website and like where they should place things in the nav, right? Like all that good stuff. Um, but and I've been a part of several of these, right? And like here's my issue with them. Um, my issue is a lot of the times they're finding like they post like, hey, come earn twenty five bucks an hour by you know participating in this you know, survey or this focus group or whatever it is, right? Um, and, you know, you get just ran, like whoever's, whoever sees the ad or whatever, like shows up and yeah, they might have a pre-qualifier, like, are you in the demographic that we're targeting or whatever? But, you know, no, it's not like anyone coming into this has like, hey, have you like critically thought about like your own user experience on a site before? Hey, have you like built a website do you have any design expertise are you a creative person right like none of that is asked um before they are participating in this in this uh focus group so i i don't know i have seen schools that pay all this money that they go ahead and do all these focus groups and then they end up like 
disregarding all of the feedback that they got because it was like not helpful and they're sort of like surprised oh my gosh like i don't know what what went wrong or what happened or whatever and my big thing is like these people are not most more often than not they're not qualified to be giving this feedback right like why are you paying them to give you feedback they're just gonna say the first thing that comes to their mind and most of the time like that's actually not how they interact. Or there's this weird like social pressure of, oh, I'm being paid to do this. I need to be like, I need to pretend that I'm, you know, a, a, a website critic and I'm not. So the idea here is like, what if you developed a team of people, um, call them the, the beta brain, brain trust group or something like that, that are students but are qualified to give this sort of feedback. So they're creatives. They have their own brands. They have a startup. Um, they are in the fine arts department but are also interested in business, right? They are double majoring in design and entrepreneurship, right? Whatever it might be. And uh, have an application where people can apply to be a part of this like trusted group of people. I think that you pay these people as like student workers, you give them some incentive and it should be monetary because this is very, very important. And they become your trusted group of people. You, you make sure that it's a diverse uh, profile of students, um, a diverse sort of like pod of students rather, so that you're getting lots of different perspectives. But then when you have a new idea for a website or uh, an update or, hey, you just want to launch another brand campaign, you're feeding it to them. They know your brand. They know your institution better than a focus group on you know uh, on the streets, uh, and right in theory, they're creative and qualified enough to actually contribute with valuable insight. So that's idea number two. Idea number three is to partner with top creators at your school. So. I promise you that no matter what institution you're at, there are kids at, on your campus right now that have massive social followings. Not tons, but there'll be a few kids that have upwards of 10,000, maybe even 100,000, maybe maybe even a couple hundred thousand followers, and they do something spe specific or niche. Like maybe they are, you know, a Twitch streamer or, you know, maybe they um have just uh, they're, they're an awesome dancer and they have viral-esque like TikTok videos, right? Whatever it might be. I would find these these students. It's not going to be hard. Uh, ask around, right? Who do people follow? Like who, like when it comes to social media, who's like doing it right at school? And I would find ways to partner with these, cre with these creators. So whether it's like partnering with like um, so a, a dancer on TikTok to sort of promote an upcoming, um, you know, fine arts sort of uh, recruitment event or exhibit or whatever it is, um, or, you know, find a way to like partner with a computer science, um, um, uh, someone who's studying computer science, they're, they're pursuing a computer science major, partner with them to promote your upcoming like lunch and learn, right? Where, um, and they promote that to like their, their Twitch audience. Um, and I think like it's these sorts of like creative different ways of thinking. Again, these people, if they have large followings, they're good at what they do. They know how to speak to their audience. And your their audience, like assuming it's an audience that you want to get in front of, right? Like you got to trust them and empower them to, you know, present the ad, present the promo, the promo and how they see fit. But this is like such low hanging fruit. And this is like capital A authentic, right? 
you are partnering with people at your school, like these are students at your at your school, you're saying, hey, let's collaborate on this. Let's promote something that you care about, right? And presumably, like, again, I guess this assumes that they're happy at your school, but let's assume that. Um, this is like the best endorsement that you can get. This, this goes way, way further, guys, in my opinion, than spending $10,000 on a Facebook ad campaign or $100,000 on, on a billboard, right? And again, the future, when I think about like the future of enrollment marketing, it's going to be a lot more sustainable. It's going to be about quality of lead and quality of interaction as opposed to quantity of interaction. Like it's just not sustainable any other way. And so the schools that can get ahead and start thinking about these things and thinking about, oh, what does it look like to actually partner with creators at our school to promote our program offerings? Those are the schools that are going to get ahead. Um, the final idea here is... Um, this one's not that original, but um, it's actually it has to do with creating original content, creating original audio and video content. So um, what this is, is is finding student talent to help create stories and valuable content as opposed to like that's timely as opposed to just featuring alumni stories and like polished student testimonials all over your site. So. I love podcasting as a medium because it's super organic. It's unpolished. Um, you really get like deeper, more intimate access to the whole story behind somebody. I think about like the the interviews that, that I listen to on podcasts between um, you know celebrities or or business leaders, uh, like the Joe Rogan Show, right? Like getting to listen to a two and a half hour Elon Musk uh, interview. That's way more insight I'm going to get around Elon than like even reading his biography, right? Or, uh, you know, Brene Brown sitting down with Joe Biden to talk about, uh, you know, healing and hope for the country in a two-hour segment. Like way more intimate than I'm going to get even in like a polished kind of sit-down interview, uh, you know, with, with a Chris Wallace type of figure, right? Um, so uh, I think that there's huge uh, – uh, opportunity for schools to think about how do we, how do we create original shows and original content as a part of our admissions and marketing team and how do we empower students to lead this um i think that like whether it whether it's a specific show whether it's a specific series on like how to college i think that there should be brand elements woven into that but i don't see enough like i see like student content being generated in sort of like the silo and like you know, and maybe every once in a while there's like a press release and news about, oh, student so-and-so got, you know, some funding for this new podcast idea that they had or whatever. And that's all great. Go and hire those people. Say, hey, look, we love what you're doing. You're amazing. Can you come work with us to create a show that we can use as a part of our recruitment strategy? Or, hey, what if you could do an hour like live Facebook Live or Instagram Live segment uh, every month or every week, whatever the cadence, uh, whatever cadence makes sense, where you bring on other students and you just interview them. Like you, you are the student. You're you're acting. It's your show. You get to do what you want with it, and you're interviewing them about the actual student experience. And how are you like positioning that in as raw and and as or um, as organic of a way as possible? Um, that is the kind of stuff, guys. That is influencing people today. That is the sort of invent like those specific tactics are where your marketing investment should go. Yes, you're still gonna have to go wide, at least for the foreseeable future, a little bit, but start thinking about how you go deep. Start thinking about how you get better about um creating content that is 
genuinely sustainable, uh, creating recruitment strategies that prioritize quality over quantity. So this was a very uh, long monologue here. You guys are probably tired of hearing my voice at this juncture, so I will wrap up. But uh, my parting words, my parting thoughts are this. Schools already have student ambassador programs in place. What I'm talking about, you know, is not rocket science. It's not really that innovative or revolutionary. It's uh, micro innovative, (laughs) if you will. But these are the kinds of frameworks that you need to be thinking in when you think about sort of like the future of admissions. Peer-to-peer marketing, the apps like Unibuddy and and, and Zimi are going to be, continue to just be huge Millennials uh, barely listen to sort of like uh, uh, authoritative figures when it comes to sort of like marketing and recruitment. And just because it's a celebrity doesn't mean I'm going to buy the product or the service. Like you sort of see through that BS. And a lot of time it's, it is BS. Gen Z is um, puts millennials to shame. Like they despise this stuff. Um, where they are influenced is by their peers. Um, and so... How do you incorporate students into your recruitment strategy in a way that's significantly deeper and more meaningful than the, you know, one liner on your website with like the cloud bubble above their head that says, I love this school. It's the best thing since sliced bread. Like students should be driving your recruitment strategy. And again, they need to be the right students. These aren't just students that are, um, you know, looking for jobs and and like they need to work because it you know to to help pay for for tuition it can absolutely be these students um but these sorts of jobs and opportunities that i'm talking about like people should want to apply for them they should be exciting right this isn't just like photocopying and grabbing coffee like this is being a part of the overall university's enrollment management and enrollment marketing uh strategic plan and getting to play a role in that should come with some compensation for sure um, and also some other status. So redefine the student ambassador program at your school. Think very critically about how you could start tapping into micro-influencing strategies and let me know how it goes. All right, folks. Um, I think that's more than enough for today. Thanks for listening, as always, and we'll see you next week. If you are an enrollment marketer working in marketing and communications or enrollment management and would be willing to be interviewed on the podcast, or if you have an idea for a topic that you'd like to hear covered on the podcast, please reach out directly to me at Zach, Z-A-C-H, at Enrollify.org. We sincerely look forward to working with you to make Enrollify the most trusted, go-to digital resource for enrollment marketers out there.